What the Actual Fork podcast is co-hosted by two intuitive eating registered dietitians, yours truly, Sammy Previtt, owner of Fine Food Freedom, and Jenna Warner, owner of Happy Strong Healthy. We can't stand diet culture bullshit and love keeping it real. Our mission is for all humans to believe that they are made for so much more than chasing a smaller body. We are also here to share with you that food can be fun and pleasurable again. Although we are medical professionals, we are human too. We are not afraid to share our deepest, darkest secrets and how years of our lives were taken by diet culture. We started this podcast so no human has to feel alone in their journey towards food freedom. So get comfy and join us for a casual convo where you can expect to laugh, cry, learn, and grow. Hello, What the Actual Fork fam. You may notice this isn't Sammy or Jenna's voice. My name is Chelsea Schaefer, and I am the What the Actual Fork podcast manager. During this off-season, we'll be resharing some of our most impactful and highest-performing episodes, as well as two brand-new episodes, and you'll be hearing an intro from me before each one. So, hello. I'm very happy to be here introing our previous episodes um, and bringing them back around to the top of the list. So this week, we are revisiting our episode with the co-author of Intuitive Eating, the one and only Evelyn Tribley. You'll hear us introduce the show as drunk dietitians, and, you know, the real ones know that was our name before our rebrand to What the Actual Fork. In this episode, Sammy and Jenna talk with Evelyn about her story, how to have conversations about diet culture with other health professionals, and how you can stop diet culture starting with your own family and your own social circle. If you're new to intuitive eating, this conversation will answer some of your biggest questions. And if you're not new to intuitive eating, this may answer questions you didn't even know you had. So let's get into our first off-season repost with Evelyn Tribbley. And please, 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 if you haven't already, rate and review our podcast on Apple Podcasts. And now on Spotify, you can rate podcast shows. So please, please, please take a moment to do that. We read every single one and they all mean so much to us. It just helps make our podcast better known and can share the word of intuitive eating to more and more people. And that is our ultimate goal. So thank you in advance and enjoy the episode. Welcome back, everybody. We are on cloud nine right now. Um, As you know, by now, we record these little intros after we record the episode so that the episode is super fresh in our brains. And Sam and I just had the privilege of interviewing the OG, as she called it, of intuitive eating. And my heart is full I am speechless, which I know I've said before um, on these episodes, but I just, there's no words to describe the emotions that I feel right now. And there's a lot of emotions that are swirling through my body after this incredible conversation. So with all that being said, Jenna, you didn't say who we interviewed. Oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) We interviewed... Evelyn Triboli, who they may have been able to guess when you said, I think the OG of intuitive eating. Um, so she's the co-author with, with Elise Resch um, of the intuitive eating book. And as anybody who's listened to multiple of our episodes of our podcast, Jenna is currently going through the process of becoming a certified intuitive eating counselor. I just wrapped up my training, um, becoming a certified intuitive eating counselor. Um, and you can literally only do that under Evelyn and her programming and and their programming through intuitiveeating.org. So this is like, she is the reason that Jenna and I are the dietitians that we are today. I'm going to cry. You already know I'm emotional tonight, but like, and also this is a, a Friday night recording. So it's been extra fun and just like a way to reflect on this week too. But like Sam said, I mean, we have both admittedly discussed how our practices did not start out this way and hearing Evelyn's perspective on how that experience has shaped her and shaped us in our teachings now I think was just it brought everything really full circle to me or for me whatever the grammar is for that one but I think that it's really important everybody listening whether you're a dietitian dietitian to be or not that whatever experience you have with diet culture 
and wherever you are in your journey, if you can change your perspective instead of thinking about it as lost time, which I used to do constantly, but to start thinking about it as an experience and as part of your story, but not the end of your story, like she kind of hinted at in different words in this, it's so powerful. Um, and my other like huge takeaway, I'm just going to share it now too, is she really talks about, and we get this question constantly, but she talks about, you know, dealing with diet culture in a world where it's so normalized and her message about focusing on one person at a time is something that will help me sleep tonight. Um, yeah. it's just a really beautiful sentiment and I'm super grateful for this conversation. Yeah. I think that as I've continued, like, and you shared in this episode how you're like kind of still going through that angry phase of, <laughs> you know, and, I, and we say it with like, you know, total honesty, like it, it truly is a phase of like anger and grief. It's really long. Yeah. No, <laughs> honestly, same. Just go back to all the fuck day culture Friday videos and, and you'll see mine on air. Um, but, but then, you know, she goes through like, but then you go through a phase of having compassion for those people because, you know, you, you truly do feel for them because you know, they're entrenched in diet culture. And so, you know, it's so, it's just so wild to, to, to really bring light to that and to have grace with yourself, just like you have grace with other people. And to recognize that when you go through diet culture, um, or oppression or fat shaming or whatever it is, like, and you come out the other side with peace with food in your body, then you can better serve others and you can, you know, have empathy and have compassion. And it's, um, it's not that you have to go through diet culture to be an intuitive eating dietitian. Cause that's not true. There's definitely some gems. Totally. That, Claire. Yeah. Claire tuning. <laughs> um, yeah. But, um, yeah, this, this episode between that. And then of course, like the million dollar question, can you lose weight and intuitively eat? We get the answer from the bubble in herself. Yeah, <laughs> boss. So that, I mean, that alone, like is, it's just, she's amazing. And as always, we love that you guys are here. We appreciate you. Each week we are growing in numbers and it means so much to us. So if you have feedback, if you have questions, if you have requests for topics coming up, be sure to connect with us on Instagram at Drunk Dietitians if you haven't already. Like and share, bring a friend on with you. And, you know, like everyone says, we have to change the world one person at a time. Yes. And please make sure with this episode, especially, I mean, it's an hour of Evelyn Triboli's work. It is, <laughs> it is amazing and it is truly full of golden nuggets. So make sure, please, please, please share this with a few friends, just send it to people um, because it is an amazing episode that will absolutely help um, really, really help grow and inspire people. So without further ado, let's get in to the episode with Evelyn Triboli. Welcome back to another episode of Drunk Dietitians. We have literally our favorite dietitian. I think we can say that on this one. Maybe, um, but there's, I'm, I'm sure there's many. Uh, yes, there are many, there are many, but as, as we'll, we'll call it the OG, the original gangster of intuitive eating, we have Evelyn Triboli. Thank you so much for being here. To be here. Oh, I think we froze we for a second, but I think we're good now. <laughs> it's okay. Just okay. making the announcement so much more I know. exciting. <laughs> we were, our, our faces were like, ah. <laughs> yes. Yes. So I think, I think we're good. But just to give, I'm going to give you a little bit more of a detailed intro, Evelyn, that I have from your bio that was sent over. Um, so Evelyn is the okay. author of nine books. She's the co-author of Intuitive Eating, a mind-body self-care eating framework with 10 principles, which has given rise to over 125 studies to date. Something that if anybody listens to our podcast, you have heard us not only use the term intuitive eating every single episode, but also <laughs> Evelyn's name on every single episode. Um, she's an international speaker, workshop leader. She's passionate um, and she helps train health professionals aka Jenna and I as well, um, and into becoming certified intuitive eating counselors, which there are over 1,000 wow. currently in over yeah. 23, or 23 countries. Um, Evelyn's been on pretty much every like major platform you can think of, New York Times, CNN, Today Show, Fox News, USA Today, et cetera, et cetera. 
Um, she even qualified for the Olympic trials for the first ever women's marathon in 1984, which is badass. That's just like such a fun <laughs> so fact. Cool. Um, <laughs> yeah. And also a wicked ping pong player, avid hiker. She loves the beach. If any of you watch our YouTube version of this, <laughs> you'll see she's air quotes on the beach um, in Zoom right now. Um, and she loves chocolate when she can savor it slowly. So thank you, Evelyn, yeah, for being here. You got it here. all right. Absolutely. I am like kind of shell-shocked right now. I can't believe you're really here. It's so exciting. Of course um, I'm here. Yeah. <laughs> so we like to kick off each episode with like a little this or that that has nothing to do with what we're going to talk about next. Oh, how just, fun. Just to learn more about you. <laughs> okay. Um, so rapid fire coffee. Uh-oh, uh-oh, okay. <laughs> coffee or tea? Coffee. Vodka or tequila? Tequila. You and Sammy. Okay, oh. I hear ya. So, crunchy or soft shell taco? Ooh, it depends <laughs> on my mood. I give them an equal. No, no, either that or that. <laughs> I love it. Now, this question we always like to say is really not fair, considering a night out on the town is not really as feasible in these times. But would you prefer Netflix and chill or a night out on the town? Oh, night out on the town for sure. Especially now, right? <laughs> Especially <laughs> like, now. Yeah, yeah. Cats or dogs? Dogs. And I was going to ask you, be sand, surf or sand or snow, but I think that answer is pretty clear. <laughs> I love, I love, I love, love, love the beach, but you know what? I also love to ski, but if I had the pick, if I was forced on a desert island, I would choose the desert island. <laughs> <laughs> so the beach, in other words, surrounded by water. Yeah, yeah I love it. Um, chocolate chip cookie or ice cream? Ice cream. Um, and second to last question when it comes to peanut butter crunchy or smooth this is like our big debate yeah you know what it, it depends on my mood once again and the kind of peanut butter and the texture so i, I would it. probably defer to crunchy yeah Love that. Right now, I'm really, I'm really into like the no stir peanut butter right now, like the oh. ones that's like thicker. I don't know if you guys can relate, but oh, that's, like that's on yeah. my mind right now. Um, yeah. And the last thing, if you could have one thing in limitless quantities that's not money, oh. what would it be? Love. Oh, that's a beautiful answer. I love that. <laughs> I love that. On this, I, I feel like we, on... we do have that in limited quantities, don't we? Really, we just need to access it and recognize it, bring it in, embrace it. I love and that. give it back out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I feel oh like God, give me a, give uh, me a this, this, this show, it's either been love, dogs, or like chocolate is usually like the most common oh, answers we get. Uh, so I love, I love that you went that direction. Oh, yeah. um, so this episode, Evelyn, we really just want to dig right into myth busting intuitive oh, with yeah. you. So okay. Jenna, Jenna and I put poll questions all over our Instagram leading up to this episode, and we got a lot of themes of very similar questions, and we thought, who better to ask than Evelyn? Oh. <laughs> cool. cool. All right. So first up, um, but actually, you know, hold on. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to turn back here. Before we get into okay. questions, I'm, I'm going off, off kilter here, but I would love to hear for, for people that are listening who've never heard your story before. I know I've heard it a little bit here oh. and there, but I would love like, Evelyn, have you always been an intuitive eating dietitian, <laughs> right? How did you get into this work? You can oh. take 30 seconds or 30 minutes. How did you get to where you are today? You know, it's funny. I, I tell so many different slices of this story. I might tell you the whole story in one chunk but, uh, and be mindful of the time. So I'm going to tell you how I got first into nutrition. I, I, I love that part of the story, <laughs> to be honest. So back in the day, because I've been around the block for a while, uh, there was no girls track team. So I ran on the boys team. And so I was always looking at what can I eat to beat the boys? I want to beat the boys. And I did beat the boys and I lettered in track. And I don't say that with arrogance. I said it with pride because I had to fight the patriarchy because uh, the coach didn't want to let me letter, even though I met the criteria. So I had to go fight and I won. Yay. <laughs> Well, and then went on in, yeah, and then went on into college and competed, um, you know, university uh, track and cross country. And then, as you mentioned in the intro, uh, qualifying and training for the Olympic trials marathon uh, was just a slice out of history because at that time, the longest distance women could run was only a mile. God forbid we pass out the papers. It's finished. 
I had, I was just in grad school when this announcement came in. And I think this part of the story is really funny. I was so excited. It's like, I'm on, I'm training. And I was, I was training hard. And I remember my brother said to me, he goes, Ev, you got to go watch Rocky. It's going to motivate you. You know, <laughs> I was like, I don't need to watch a movie to motivate me. I was already motivated. And when I was finally running in the actual competition, you know, when you run a marathon, you kind of get into a pace and you tend to run with the same pack of people, or in this case, the person. And we're talking and uh, we're talking, she goes, are you like a politician or something? And I said, no, why do you ask? And she said, because you're just waving at everybody. And I said, you know, I know that this is really as far as I'm going to get. This is my version of the Olympics. I just want to enjoy every moment. And that just kind of speaks to how I, I take in life. I'm very passionate about it. So that was the the pre, that's what got me all into the, the new what really got me into intuitive eating was the story with um, Elise and I separately being in private practice and recognizing that even when dietitians, you know, put people on sensible diets through food exchanges, uh, it does not work and it does not feel good. And so one of the things I like to stress, especially for the professionals out in your audience, is, you know, we got trained in diet culture. I think I like to acknowledge that because what ends up happening whenever I speak at conferences or people just take my training on a on face value because someone else said, you should take this, and they hear all this body of evidence that really goes against what you were taught. And that is, you know, that dieting is not sustainable, dieting is harmful, and uh, it's really, really a problem. They're like, what? That's not what we heard. It's Or, or people think that, if a professional does it, it changes the outcome. It's like, no, most of the studies were done under medical supervision. And so it's like you've been hit on the head with a frying pan, like in a cartoon, and you're like, what? You know? And so it's, it's a cognitive dissonance that Elise and I went through. It, it did not feel good. It's like, I just remember, I, I felt this conflict all the time. And we thought there's got to be another way. And so we did a deep dive into the research. And then people kind of know I have this really uh, I'm in touch with my inner geek. I, I love I love research. Uh, we also looked at what was going on in popular uh, psychology. You know, overcoming overeating, overcoming overeating by Hirschman and Munter was a really popular book that written by two psychologists on this issue, who were already talking about demand feeding, and we just looked at that, looked at our experiences combined with with the research, and where we got really lucky. This is a backstory a lot of people don't know is that our publisher loved the manuscript but said, you know, we would love for you to make it more how-to. Can you put this into steps or something? And so we put it into actionable principles. And what that made us so fortunate with is a few years later, Tracy Tilka, the researcher at Ohio State University, read the book, was impacted by it and said, huh, I wonder if we can define the intuitive eater uh, scientifically. And so what does it make a difference? And the, and the answer was yes, yes, and yes. And because of her seminal research, she really put uh, intuitive eating on the map and gave a tool for researchers to use to assess what is going on. And so we can say when we first came up with the model and the book, our work was research inspired. But now fast forward today, now we have the fourth edition out 25 years later, and we have over 125 studies and more that are underway now as, as we speak. And it has really stood the, the test of time. So it's becoming like, I had, I had a publisher recently say, this is your life's work. And it's like, yeah, it, it actually is, you know? And the thing that's just so amazing is to be a facilitator and a witness to people's lives changing through this process. And then now that I'm training health professionals how to do this, is watching them bloom and blossom. Because when you become a witness and a facilitator to this, your life also changes. And it becomes such a gratifying way to work with people. And, you know, and I, get, I get people ask me all the time, how have you stayed in this so long? How do you do this, you know, this, all this, you know, fight the fight? And I think that because when you're witness to this, when you're witness to the transformation and also to the harm, it keeps you really grounded, even when you're getting, you know, resistance from diet culture, which is now so prevalent, unfortunately, in, in, in healthcare. You know, I'm, I'm deeply rooted is what I'd like to say. The winds can blow, but you're not shaking out my roots. <laughs> oh, so, yeah. and this is also off kilter. Sorry, Sam, I'm, I'm veering from our questions, That's but right. you know, how do you, how do you prevent feeling disheartened by either seeing the people that you've mentored being smacked 
by diet culture, getting yeah. those mean comments or, you know, the arguments or, you know, just by people still causing so much harm within our field. Is there, do you have any strategies? I do. <laughs> and you know, and here's the part, because can I just say you guys are kind of the youngins in the field and we're thrilled. Lisa and I were thrilled that we have so many young health professionals coming in and spreading the word. So I, I think part of it is this, when Elise and I were doing this, there was two of us. And yes, there were also some, some act, you know, fat activists and other, other people along, you know, marching on this drum of, you know, doing, we call it non-dieting back then. So we didn't, we didn't, there's, there's a foundation that, that began with, but there weren't very many of us. And so now fast forward, you're right. It's really frustrating when people take our work and co-opt it, call it the wrong thing or say intuitive eating and weight loss. It's like, no, principle number one, reject the diet mentality. The difference now is we have so many health professionals who've been trained in this method, who understand the research, so we're standing on, on firmer ground. And I'll tell you what really keeps me centered. I actually, it's funny, I've got a new book coming out uh, in March. We're in the galley phase right now. And I have this quote in there, and it's from an activist who I admire. Her name is uh, Desiree Attaway. She's a, she's a social justice, amazing person. And her mantra is when you're engaging with people with anything, uh, are they teachable, reachable, and are they ready? So that's part of my guiding principles. And I've modified it just slightly to, and do I have the, the bandwidth to do this? You know. Mm -hmm. So for example, I'm not going to even name names on here, but um, there was a, a, a pretty influential social media personality slash celebrity that did a takedown on intuitive eating. And I had so many people contact me, aren't you going to say something? How can you let this be? It's like, you know what? I don't engage with bullies. I don't engage with people who have willful ignorance and who just want to, you know, elevate their name some more. And so I said, I made a, a, a decision to myself. I'm not going to waste my energy. I want to spend my energy doing good in the world, you know, helping students that call me and are doing a dissertation on intuitive eating, those kinds of things. And so that's one of the first times I can really tell you I let something go and I was totally at peace with it. I didn't worry that, oh my God, they're having misinformation because the truth is our book stands alone, the research stands alone. And if you want to criticize something and you've never even read it, shame on you. Do you know what I mean? That's just that the audacity of that really gets me. And so what I do with the health professionals that misunderstand our work who have just ignorance, not willful ignorance, like I divide the two up, you know, <laughs> and I, I will engage in conversation. Yeah, there's a difference. Because mm -hmm. uh, willful ignorance is get away. I have my own opinion. You are not changing my mind. Goodbye. I have an agenda. The ignorance says I've never heard this before. What are you talking about? This can't possibly be. I'll have that's why I love working with students because I, 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 I sometimes really actually I have to give you a sidebar example of this I got a I got an email from a grad student in Israel and she was doing her her uh, master's on intuitive eating and writing up her paper and she was coming to odds with something having to do with weight and I said you know the questions you're asking are really good but it's too complex for an email let's set up a meeting and we did and so she rose, raised all these questions. I gave her all this information. At the end, she goes, wow, my paper is really messed up. And I said, you know what? You really understand our meeting. This is awesome. And I'd, ra <laughs> I'd rather have you realize that now, because now she was seeing the error of her thinking, to realize that now before you get launched out into the world, you know? And so that's why I like to also say, it's normal to have this disbelief or this cognitive dissonance. And so what I say is, read the papers that I'm talking about, Read it, read the body of the research and decide, you know, decide for yourself. I don't have, you know, I wish it was that I could just say these amazing words, amazing facts, and people go, oh my God, thank you, of course, I'm changing just like that, you know, but I find it's a combination of hearing this research and having the experience of working with patients and seeing what really happens, and it tends to happen if I was to give it a number, like around the five-year mark, you know, when someone's, you know, fresh and squeaky new, you can put anyone on a food plan for a year, I would say, and you're not going to feel the fallout of that, but as you start having some of these relationships, then it doesn't feel so good and sure enough what we see in the research world is that is that about two to five years is where you see the fallout from any of these so-called weight loss plans and and so on and you know I think the other thing that really drives me and this is a personal story you might have heard this one I sometimes tell it I sometimes don't but it has to do with my mom 
So my mom at the age of 64 was diagnosed with ovarian cancer. It's a horrible diagnosis because it, this, it was like stage four and she died subsequently three years later. This was many years ago, which is why I can talk about this without getting the tissues out. But on the day this diagnosis was happening, the, the, the confirmation of it, we were having this talk. I don't know why it was just me and my mom, because I have three other siblings plus my father. There's a lot of people, but it was just my mom and I in, in the room, and she's standing up and lamenting about all her, her years wasted on dieting. She turns around, surveys her body, and said, all I want to do is live. I want to be an old lady. And I'll tell you, when I think about that, it still breaks my heart all the time wasted and spent. And the one thing I'm incredibly grateful for is in spite of growing up with a dieting mom, it was nothing that she projected onto us as kids. I'm, I'm grateful for that. And I also happen to have a mom that was very athletic and, and active. She was the one like, you go on that boys drag team and supported me with all these things that I, that I would do. But that when you have those kinds of, you know, I, I like to look at someone's relationship in their own past, whether they're a health professional or not, especially a health professional, what is the relationship you've had with your body and your diet culture history? And there's no shame in this. And I think if we can recognize we've all been impacted by it in some way, it's really profound. And now because I'm of the age where I've got two little grandbabies, um, <laughs> you know, I think about the world I want to leave for them and I do not want them to be impacted by this at all. And so one of the things I like to say to my uh, patients who are just new and starting off with their families, they either plan to have families or they have young kids, is, you know, you can stop the, the legacy of diet culture in your family. The idea of stopping all of the culture is daunting, like you were suggesting, like, oh my God, how do you still do it, you know? But when you start seeing, you can have an impact in your area of influence. You don't have to be a social media influencer to have that influence. It happens in your meaningful uh, conversations and the relationships that you already have. And so I have great hope with that. I've seen a lot of change and evolving uh, since that as well. And so, but we still have a lot of work to do. We have a lot of work to do. And that's why I come on to <laughs> podcasts and have conversations because there's someone out there that might be hearing this for the first time and go, what? <laughs> no. Oh, so there's another way I don't have to be at war with my body and living in anxiety with constantly worrying about what I eat, how I eat and all those kinds of things, you know? So yeah. Woo. Long answer to a short question. No, that's, <laughs> that's, that's perfect. And that literally answered our, one of our first questions was uh, about like fitness influencers or, you know, these social media presence or gyms that do these healthy lifestyle cleanses. I'm using oh. lots of air quotes, but so <laughs> yeah. my, you know, we were going to kind of ask, how do you respond to them? But I think it comes back to, like you said, are they reachable? Are they teachable? Like, do they want to hear this? And, and starting with just who you can impact and plant seeds with goes so far. And it's yeah. so promising, I think too, because yes. with, with these RDs to be like these young dietitians too, yeah. they are see, like, I would have killed to hear this message in college. Like <laughs> I wish, but I didn't have it until I was already a pra like in a practice with preaching weight loss everywhere. And I was like, Oh shit. Now I gotta, you know, yeah. go through this huge transformation, but I wanted everyone to see my mistakes so they can know like, it's okay. Like you have to have grace exactly. with yourself. So yeah. it's so great to see, you know, we have a lot of dietitians in training or nutrition students that listen, that they, they're so interested in this and they don't know awesome. where to get the information. So, well, and I'll, I will tell you what, that I also find really encouraging. There are more and more universities teaching this, or actually I just agreed to give a talk at a, a university in the spring because I thought, oh, I get to reach more young minds. <laughs> exactly. They want this to be in there. And so, yeah, to know that there's another way, we don't have to practice in this way. And I've had a lot of young dietitians thinking, oh my God, I got into the wrong career. But then they get introduced to intuitive eating. It's like, oh, oh, I, I could, I and, and, and it changes their lives because they see another way that they can work with people. And it's so, so, so gratifying because this work is very relational. It, you remove the dictator, the expert kind of thing. And we center this all on our patients and holding them with unconditional positive regard, you know, and so many patients and clients, and I use the word interchangeably, they haven't had that from other health practitioners. They've mm -hmm. had the shaming. They've had the, you better do this. You better do that. And, and to have uh, them be front and center and valued for their, 
fact that they're a human, you know, and that they are the expert of their own experiences, including their, their thoughts, feelings, lived experience, and all those kinds of things. It's like, what a concept is this? You know, it's profound. It's really profound. Hearing you speak makes gives me just so much emotions. I think that like it's just it's so comforting to just know just the positivity of where you're coming from and you know the hope that we can change just one family at a time is just such yep. a beautiful way to think about it. Um, I definitely get lost. Um, Sam is my mentor in this process and she, we call it like the phases and like right now I'm in my angry phase of uh, like realizing what diet culture has yeah. taken from me and the way that it's impacting the people in my life or that I and I'm seeing it so much clearer and, and it can be really emotional um, and exhausting when you have to explain yourself over and over again to the people that surround you so closely and you feel like you're talking to no one and then talking to you I'm like oh my god this is so real <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah and then we get into conversations around boundaries or what do you yeah, need right. to feel safe that you don't have to constantly be you know uh, draining yourself around <laughs> this and you know one of the things I wanted to say Sammy to you, you know, because we were talking about, gosh, your practice originally was, you know, centered around weight loss or whatnot. You know, not a lot of people know this, but in the fourth edition of Intuitive Eating that just came out, right before we were going to like the, the, pub, the publishing stage, you go through all these stages of editing and there's a page on there that says books by, and it lists the books by the authors. And Elise said, you know, Elvin, do you really want to have those books on there? <laughs> oh God, I don't know. Eight books on there. And then where she was coming from is because they're in diet culture you know? Mm. And I said, yeah, I don't want to erase my history. I want people to see that this is actually, you can change and you can evolve and there's no shame in that. I didn't know all this stuff that I know now. And in fact, uh, sometimes what a lot of people don't know is my background. When I got out of um, grad school, I started doing a lot of freelance writing. I used to write for some major magazines and I will tell you, I got paid a good amount of money to write diets, diet plans. And I thought, in, I really thought I was doing a, a good deed by showing how you can eat sugar in this <laughs> 1200 calorie or whatever the calorie was meal plan. And then I had an epiphany. I'll never forget it. I got called by an editor to do a story, another kind of diet plan. And it was about losing 10 pounds in a week to fit into that little black dress from Christmas to New Year's. And I said, you can't do that. That's not ethical. And so I had this conversation and that was when I realized, oh my God, all of this is not ethical. And that's the day I stopped writing those kinds of stories. But I did. I did the before and after charts. Oh my God, look at how many calories you'll save because it's really dramatic. But you don't show all the after after. And that is, oh, with the deprivation, you're going to end up obsessing about this food, feeling out of control with it possibly and inhaling it and so on and so on. And so I don't get asked very much about that part of my history because most of my history has been, you know, the book's been around for 25 years, but that that's part of my history. And so I say that, that so many of us came trained like this, it's understandable and there's still a way out. There's still a way out, you know? Yes. I love that. And I think that I, I openly and Jenna too, on our podcast, we share our story and we get so many messages of dietitians. Like, where do I start? Like I, that's me, right? Like I'm stuck in this diet culture and how do I make that transition? And so I think, like you said, it's really important to share our stories and make it known. Like we don't have shame around it because we did the best with the resources we had and we're taught and we're always learning and, and growing and staying curious in this. Yeah, and I think what makes it so challenging now versus 25 years ago when the first book came out, you know, it used to be diet culture was just, just the weight loss industry, the fitness industry, and the beauty industry. And now we've got a really (laughs) big industry that's added to that, and that's healthcare industry. And, you know, ever since it became, well, it's always been, weight's always been political, but especially I look at 2013, and that's when the American Medical Association asked their scientific task force, can we say body size is a disease? And they researched and researched and said, no, we don't have enough data to support that idea. And the AMA didn't like it. And they, and they said, vote and got outvoted, you know, and it's around that time when you start following health policy, you start following the money, the insurance and all those kinds of things. It's become monetized and a, and a big industry. And we've got this ginormous statistic in intuitive eating on um, the, what, what, how much this industry is worth the 
when you include healthcare, instead of having that $71 billion industry you hear about, it's like 300 billion and it's pr predicted to be at 300 billion in uh, 2025. So we have to recognize that's part of it. And I think that's what really, really makes it difficult for patients and clients when they say, but my doctor, and I'll say, but you know, I, you're, I don't think, if your doctor knew the research, that if, if weight loss dieting was a medication, it would never be approved because of the failure rate and the harm that it causes. And, and in addition to all of this, for the great majority of people, it causes the opposite. For up to two-thirds of the people, going on a weight loss diet of some sort predicts more weight gain. And so even if size was a disease, if... Uh, why would you be prescribing something that then would increase size? And I'm always careful when I use that language because I don't want to. I don't want to perpetuate weight stigma and fat phobia. We can be in different body sizes and be healthy. We need health and dignity for all bodies. It's uh, it's a profound process that we need to not just deconstruct diet culture, but we need to be dismantling the the policies that that uphold it. And this includes the the policies of of oppression. You know, and when you start really digging down, there was a book published last year that really, really just rocked my world. Uh, the, the book called Fearing the Black Body by The Racial Roots of Fat Phobia by Sabrina Strings. Do you have it there? Yeah, it was about to grab it. Let me show you. Let me show you. I got it. I got it. I got page notes on it. And, and she does an amazing job of showing that this, this predates healthcare yeah. and it's rooted in racism and patriarchy and religiosity and it's it's a problem and so the vision has become bigger it's like oh my god we got to dismantle lots of stuff because then we all thrive you know because one of the one of the challenges with intuitive eating i, I really believe it's a beautiful tool and a model uh, and if you're in, if you have thin privilege, meaning thin privilege is the way, as you know, society treats you. It's not about how you feel about your body or about any of your struggles that you may have or do have, but it means pretty much you can go into a theater seat and know you're going to fit. You can go into an airline and know you're going to get the seatbelt around you. You can go into a, a store and have clothing sizes that fit. So when someone has thin privilege and they uh, make peace with food, make peace with their eating, they become an intuitive eater. It's beautiful. But you take somebody in a marginalized body, a large body or body of color, body of just all different kinds of bodies where they don't feel safe, uh, but especially, let's say right now, uh, a large body, they've made peace with food, they've made peace with their body, they go out to culture, they go outside to a hostile culture, and they get bullied and they get trolled. So we have a lot of work to do. It's not a kumbaya experience for them, you know? Mm -hmm. So I think we have to recognize that we have a lot of work to do. Yes. Yeah. Thank you so much for bringing light to that and bringing that into yeah. this conversation. Of course. We have, I think, a few different episodes. We have one on fat phobia with Aaron Flores. We have one on- Oh, thin, awesome. One on thin privilege with Haley Goodrich. So we'll definitely put those in the show notes. So anybody listening who maybe hasn't heard those terms before what can go back. What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah. Because sometimes yeah. you hear those things and it's like, wait, what is that? What? You yeah. know? And so really just making sure, yeah, we'll make sure that everyone has awesome. a little bit more on that. So- the big question, which I'm assuming you can maybe guess what this, the number uh -oh. one question we got <laughs> you say was. big, it's like, wow. <laughs> How big is it? So can't, and, and I, we love, I can't wait to hear the way you answer this. Can you lose weight and intuitively eat? Well, it all depends on how you frame the question. So I get many, many iterations of that, as you yes. might know. And so one of the things I like to set up from the front, I want to be transparent about all of this, that the purpose of intuitive eating is to cultivate or heal uh, a healthy relationship with food, mind, and body. That is the purpose of this model. And what happens with someone's body when they are on this path can be basically one of three things. Their body can stay the same, their body weight might go up, or their body weight might go down. And we are not against weight loss per se. What we are against is the pursuit of intentional weight loss because the moment you do that it, it does a couple of things it disrupts the connection for intuitive eating because intuitive eating is an inside job it's connecting with what 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 sounds good what what's going to satisfy me what's going to honor my hunger what's all those kinds of things but the moment you introduce weight into the equation you're going That is like what the scale says, what are the portions, what are the macros, all those kinds of things. That's not going to heal that relationship. Now, where, where this is, gets really, really interesting is there's some things, stories Lisa and I haven't told. Um, 
around this, we have been approached by some individuals over the years who've lost, you know, a lot of weight and said, we want, we want to be your ambassador and your spokesperson. And we're like, absolutely not. We're thrilled about your healing. They describe these amazing stories. And it really is a disservice to you that you're defining it that by, the, by, the, by your body size. And we don't want to give the impression that that's what intuitive eating is about, or that's what, the end, what, that's what you end up with. It's different for, we, body diversity is a thing. And so then what, what's really interesting now is I get uh, clients who will say, yeah, I know what your perspective is on this, but I've got this secret wish and this, this secret fantasy that I'll be an intuitive eater and I'll lose weight in the process. And then I become the, 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 the splash of, of reality and I'll say, but what if that's not your story for your body? And I don't do that to be mean. I just want to manage the expectations. And at the same time, I say this and to anyone listening, if you have this desire for weight loss, this is in our culture. It's really understandable. There's pressure all around. And if you're somebody in a larger body, it might feel like the only way that you can be safe and not be verbally attacked based on what you're eating, all those kinds of things. So, you know, I, I want to acknowledge that. And for a lot of people, this is the first time they're hearing this. Like, so what do you mean? Oh yeah, I know fad diets don't work, but I'm doing a keto lifestyle and the lifestyle is kind of, you know, and it's like, but the data aren't out there. And that's what's really interesting when you start doing the deep dive in, into the research. And so one of the things I like to ask uh, uh, clients or patients is, you know, what is the story of your body? You know, what is your relationship with your body and eating and the pursuit of changing your body? And if you've been on you know, it's so funny, I have many patients now that don't relate to the term dieting, you know, because they'll do, I did the whole 30, I did this lifestyle thing, but it's a diet. Anything <laughs> in which you are doing to try and change the shape of your body to shrink it, we're looking at some form of, of dieting. What has been the impact on your body? What has been the impact on your mind? And it's shocking to me how many times I will hear this, oh, it really worked. And then there's, but... <laughs> And then they blame themselves. And it's the only industry that I know in which a product or service doesn't work and the customer blames themselves as opposed to the actual process or the product. It's like, no, you didn't fail. You've got a really, really smart body. And so part of it is having to see what the real truth is. Not that you lost weight temporarily. I'm not questioning that that happens. I'm, I'm looking at the sustainability and the, uh, the harm that can end up happening in terms of increased risk of weight stigma, eating disorders, you know, weight cycling, and all these other types of things that, that end up happening. It's profound. And then when we see right now how the, the, the incidence of eating disorders have doubled in the last time period in which they're looked at, a study just came out last year, looking at, I think they've got 90 studies from around the world, and I find that horrifying. And I think part of the reason is, is that disordered eating has become so normalized. You know, I don't, I don't remember people bragging before that they didn't eat, you know, and now they're calling it fasting or, hey, I put butter in my coffee and I haven't had any carbohydrates, you know, I'm biohacking. <laughs> and, you know, before that would look preposterous and now it's become normative, you know, it's, it's unbelievable. And then the other part I look at when I'm, when I'm talking to people about this is what is your quality of life like when you've been on these kinds of programs? And that's where it gets really interesting. And I'll say, I'm talking about the background anxiety in your mind about your eating about your body and how you are checked out of life in that moment that relationship that partner that friend that you're having dinner with before covid when we're going out to eat you know your 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 body might be there but your mind has left your body because it's now worrying or counting what you can or can't do or maybe you skip out on events altogether that's really profound it takes you out of your life and that's i think really needs to take get taken a look at and this doesn't get bragged about in diet culture and social media you don't hear people saying oh my god i lost control of my eating <laughs> <laughs> And I hear these stories all the time. I just had a, a patient say, oh my God, I was on keto and I got so constipated. I almost had to go to ER. I mean, I hear these kinds of stories and there might be people listening, grimacing right now. Going, ooh, ooh, ooh. But, but these things aren't talked about, let alone glorified. You just see these little blips of pictures before and after. And I think that's one of the things that really get me back to your original question about 
when health professionals are co-opting intuitive eating and haven't been trained in it. And when they start uh, showing before and after pictures, it's a disservice because it's a tool of diet culture. And we can't use the tools of oppression to get our freedom and, and, and liberation. And that's an important type of detail. There's all, all different kinds of bodies. That might've been your body story. You might be in a great place, but that doesn't mean it's gonna be someone else's body story. And it doesn't mean that they're doing it wrong either. You know, so, so much here to do. <laughs> I, <know. laughs> yeah. I love yeah. that though. I do. It's, it's, you know, this, this work gets so, so deep because it is so relational. And once you understand someone's relationship just to their eating, let alone to their body, let alone to their mind, you know, so much, it's such sacred space, you know, and I think what ends up happening as people begin trusting their body in this process, you know, and what I will say is every time you diet or every time you're kind of diet culture thing it's a disruptor to trust yet every time you honor hunger you're healing with each bite of food i find that incredibly i don't know aspirational inspiring that each little bite can make a difference you're saying here cells i'm taking care of you i'm feeding you you're gonna live you know because the cells don't know it's just getting traumatized every time you intentionally start a diet biologically your body doesn't know that so there's this healing and in this process as people start trusting their bodies they start trusting other parts of themselves and their life begins to change they're showing up for life and it's just uh it's beautiful you know so that's why yes i do get aggravated by the co-opting but i know what what the truth is and so one of the things i say if you really want to understand intuitive eating then read the book go on to our website you want to read the research i'll send you the research it's all there it's really there and then if you want to pick it apart let's have a conversation i don't mind having conversations or having people say hey you know what we think intuitive eating can be a little more accessible hey we think you know i think that that's a fair a fair criticism that 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 is no problem with that but when people start making criticisms on something they haven't read and they don't understand the the the, the psychology of something or the nuance of something it can really be problematic and that's why we started training and certifying health professionals uh, many years ago is to keep the integrity in the model you know it's so funny because I think in the climate that we're in, in this world right now, I, I like bucket things of that are very personal to speak about that are like no-nos at the family dinner table. And, huh. you know, politics is one of them for me personally. And I've always put nutrition in that bucket because people are so passionate about their own beliefs. Right. And, you know, I've always had this fear around sharing mine and now I'm like, who wants to talk about it? <laughs> like, yeah. But it opens up so much many, so much vulnerability that I think that if someone hasn't read your book and they have no idea what this process is, it's just, it's a big mountain to climb. And so yeah. if I could ask you, what would be for somebody that has no idea what intuitive eating is, maybe they're listening to this right now yeah. and this sounds kind of foreign to them because they don't know from it, you know, what would be the first like tidbit that you would share? And I laugh because when you were sharing that previous thing in your course that I just took, you said, if you want to be confused by intuitive eating, look at the hashtag on Instagram. Oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> Don't do that. <laughs> so much misrepresentation there. But what would be like, just like a, a little antidote about what this, what this practice is? Yeah. You know, it's so interesting. It's such a straightforward question. And yet, when I answer it, I'm always thinking about who am I talking to when I answer that question? And because I know you're asking this for, for your for your audience. So when I'm talking to a teenager, I'm saying, you're the boss of you and no one can tell you what to do about your body. You know, when no one knows how your body feels, what what uh, what hunger feels like and what would truly satisfy. And they're like, yeah, and they get into this righteous rebellion. When I'm talking to, to researchers, I start talking about interceptive awareness and those types of things. And I'm talking to somebody who has... Oh, some, I'll give you some other examples. I'll, I'll just say it's a, it's a mind-body framework that helps you connect and eat in a way that's enjoyable. You know, who doesn't want to have joy? Let's bring the joy back in <laughs> our eating. And I, this, this, sounds, this sounds like it's going to be a joke, but it's not. <laughs> I was having breakfast with a, with a bunch of Buddhists, I kid you not. <laughs> Buddhist breakfast. And I was new into this group and they were asking me, what do I do for a living? And I remember thinking, what do I want to say to this group? And I said, I teach people how to enjoy eating. Oh, they like that, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so that, that's, that's part of what it is. I'm not trying to be um, evasive in this but I'm looking 
looking at when you're looking at tidbits, what what are some of those things? So uh, let me give it, let me give you some your your listeners some action steps. You can certainly go onto our website and read the principles. That's for free. There's lots of free information on the website. We also have a free community, a free uh, uh, intuitive eating community support group. It's peer to peer. We have about 20,000 people in there and it's really, really active. That's another way to get some, I'm always looking for free resources so that if you don't have the resources to even buy the book, there's things you can go to online. So let's go to the source, although you can get the book in the library and those types of things as, as well. And then sometimes people are, will ask me, well, what's one step I can take today, you know? And I like those kinds of questions, you know? And I think, well, gosh, there's 10 principles, and in each principle, there's many steps. But, you know, sometimes I might just start off with, and, and Elise and I have had many conversations on this because we're in agreement that, you know, satisfaction, aiming for satisfaction is really the hub of intuitive eating. You know, ultimately, under eating is not satisfying. Ultimately, eating way past full is not satisfying and but in order to answer that question on huh what would a satisfying meal feel like to you and what would that be I get people like I have no idea and it's such a personal question and I would call it a pleasure-based question like well what would you need in order to find out you know what sounds good how do you want to feel, you know, and looking at those, those types of aspects. So part of what it is, is really going inside. And <laughs> I'll tell you something funny. When we were writing the fourth edition of Intuitive Eating and updating and rewriting, Lisa says, you know, Evelyn, I think you've said intuitive eating is an inside job one time too many. I think you need to take that phrase out. <laughs> but I do say it a lot. It's an inside job. It's connecting with what's happening to my body right now, not what is some influencer or health professional telling me what's going on with my body right now. So it's a whole different shifting of the focus. But what ends up happening is when you're connecting to your body like that, that cultivates trust. It's experience. And as you start getting these positive experiences, then all the winds of diet culture can blow and blow. And after a while, you're not affected by it. You're not seduced by it. I have patients who get to the point they get pissed off. Oh my God, I can't stand. Actually, before they get pissed off, they get jealous. They get, they get envious of their neighbors on some new diet because they miss that feeling. And I'll say, you know, it's really understandable that feeling that you're talking about, and especially right now, by the way, in a pandemic and with all the uncertainty going on in the world, not just pandemic, but, you know, economic, social justice, politics, all of these things. And so now you've got diet culture whispering in your ear, certainty. No, we'll, you can certainly have this kind of body if you certainly eat this way. So having certainty is really seductive and having the excitement around it is seductive. But once your eyes have been open, it's like, I've oh, been there, done that. I know how this ends. And then with with more time and experience you actually develop compassion for that person it's like oh I wish they were ready to hear uh, about intuitive eating and sometimes people just need to have one more experience you know I've had many clients over the years who'll say oh my god I wish I would have come back and and well they'll, they'll call me up and they decide no intuitive eating sounds lovely but I want to focus on weight loss and I'll tell them what will happen if they do that likely but you know I'm always here and ready um to help you. I wish I would have done that. Oh my God, I went down the rabbit hole. But sometimes you need that experience to truly know for yourself, this doesn't work. And it really causes me harm. And it, and it takes me out of my, my life. So these are things that can be really, you know, impactful. So that that so anyways, with, with time, pretty soon, you're not even, even curious about those things. But when it happens, because right now I'm finding with the pandemic, it's triggering for a lot of people. You want to go back to old coping mechanisms. And I think sometimes it's helpful to look at dieting and food plans as a coping mechanism, because think about what it does. It gives you certainty. It gives you specific direction. It gives you a fantasy and it gives you a focus. And all of a sudden you're not worried about the pandemic in this moment, you know, and if we can look at it that way and then start asking, huh, what else can I do? Or what can, what's another way I can cope? I, I, and to be honest, I don't know many things that can offer certainty except for taxes and death. And that's not a discussion we're going to have with the patient. Um, <laughs> but looking at maybe what, what you need today to cope and tolerate with the situation, what, 
what what do you need in, in terms of nurturance or even self-soothing and so on? We can start exploring those things. So when this happens, I tell my patients, don't, you know, they, they'll, they'll describe guilt and shame that they're thinking about dieting. It's like, you know, let's get deeper and look underneath that. Maybe this suggests there's something you need that you haven't looked at that in the past you've jumped into dieting. Uh, but now we have the opportunity to go deeper and we heal a little bit deeper. We can see what's underneath that, you know, so it, it can be a healing part of the, a healing entry point deeper and deeper. Yeah. Amazing. Well, <laughs> well, I think it's just, it's all about like, we even kind of open this conversation, just how the, the training in intuitive eating is so different than diet culture of, you know, when someone would come to you and say, I want to lose weight, we were taught like, let me help you fix it, air quotes. And now when someone comes to me and says, I want to lose weight, you know, why? Tell me more, right? Tell me, you know, what right. do you really want? And, and digging deeper into that, I think is, is so beautiful. Um, yeah. And not so shaming someone in, 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 because of their desire. And I, and by the way, I find a lot of the health professionals that I, at least that I know that I train, they're not, they're not intentionally shaming. Sometimes the person is picking up on that. Uh, that's their perception, but we have to be careful, uh, which is why I like to affirm it's understandable. You have that desire in the culture that we're living in, you know, but we need to look at what the cost is. What are the pros and the cons, you know? Yeah, and absolutely. Yeah, all that. Yeah, absolutely. So we'll try to squeak one more question in. I was just going to say, you. should we ask her which one she wants to answer? Ooh, <laughs> like, maybe. Well, I feel like these two, these two can like kind of be blended together and you can pick okay. one, whatever you can get to. It's totally up to you. So I, we get a lot of questions or maybe it's misunderstandings of I have diabetes, I have high cholesterol, I have PCOS, I have hypothyroidism, intuitive eating won't work for me because of medical needs um, or diseases um, or conditions. And then another one is um, meal prepping with intuitive eating. So if I, you know, make my lunch, is that diet culture, right? <laughs> so I would love for you to, however you want to approach those questions. Yeah, I'd like to get at, at, uh, answer both of them if we have time for it. So let's start with the meal prep. That's the easier one. You know, and what I like to do is I like to look at what is the intention behind the behavior, you know? And I have seen meal prep be used for self-care that, you know, and, and you save some money, you've got the meals kind of planned out. And so when you come home from work or school or whatever it is, it's almost like a no-brainer. And I, I, there's, a, there's a real service in that for the person. And one of the things I like to say is diet culture doesn't get to claim a, something that's going to help you. And that includes, I've had patients feeling guilty because they want to eat salad for a lunch. Oh, no, I'm going back to diet culture. It's like, you know what? Diet culture doesn't get to claim vegetables. You know, when you're making <laughs> peace with food, uh, you, that means you don't have to explain if you're going to have a donut, if you're going to have a, a salad. But usually when someone asks that in the beginning is there, they have a fear and the fear that they're heading down diet culture, it's not even what other people are thinking. They just remember when they're obsessed about uh, vegetables or whatnot. And so that's why we look at what's the intention behind the behavior. And if after eating this salad, you're still hungry, are you willing to nourish your body? And if the answer is yes to that, then you know, have the salad if it sounds really good. No, no, no shame, no harm on, on that. So what's the intention behind the behavior? Uh, and then with the meal prep, one of the things I also do is let's see if it's triggering when you actually do it, you know, and if it becomes triggering, then I might suggest let's back off a little bit, or maybe we need to do it in such a way it's not rigid, or maybe you plan for three dinners out of a week in between leftovers and maybe takeout and other types of things. You have the, you have the uh, makings for the meals, but they're not, you know, originally have to be Monday, Wednesday, Friday. It's, there's more flexibility involved. So I'd be looking at that also. Um, then to your other question, it's a huge <laughs> question. Um, the way I would frame it is, is in the lens of medical nutrition therapy. And that is, can we use intuitive eating and medical nutrition therapy? And the answer is yes. And the way that we integrate it, and it's an integrative thing. And so what I find is that for people to do it well, it usually takes training, it takes, you know, uh, training in the specialty of medical nutrition therapy, what it happens to be. And then also in intuitive eating. And if you haven't had training in one of those fields, it feels really awkward. You're not sure what you're doing. So that, that's something I, I like to stress on that. And, and the way I use medical nutrition therapy, it would be under the gentle nutrition um, principle. So you can implement it. That, and what it might mean is you might get to, you might be doing it sooner because we usually say, oh, you save nutrition for the end. You know, and even though Elise and I have master's degree in nutrition science, we have seen it be so triggering. And until we heal that relationship, it could be very triggering. Um, 
so what we do is we look at how can we manage this condition that they have and, and what I challenge people to do is how do you know what's being prescribed is actually viable and truly evidence-based because I will tell you I've seen some really wacky things coming out lately around hypo hypothyroid conditions and all these diets that have been prescribed in which there's no data or there's mm. sloppy data you know they did one study and there's no control group and I've had patients take it as well this is this is what I have to do and when it can actually be causing harm so know that there's ways to do this but we need to do it skillfully and we also need to consider consider your situation one of the things I love to do when I'm working with someone with a history of heart disease or they have newly diagnosed is like what can we be adding into your eating it's like what it's like yeah let's start there <laughs> and then we'll do some of the fine tunings of the other types of things so yes it's possible but what it might mean for those people asking the questions you might need to work with a health professional who's, who's trained in those things because um, it can be confusing I understand that yeah that is wonderful. I love, uh -huh. I love that myth busting right there. Yes. Um, I actually, I had an email from a client, like literally minutes before we got on that she's been working with me for nine months, um, doing intuitive eating, of course. And she had been on the keto diet for years prior. Her cholesterol was all sorts of, of, of high and out of whack. And she went to the doctor and it dropped dramatically after nine months of intuitive eating. And the doctor was like, what are you doing? Like, how did this happen? And she was like, could it be? And I was like, yes, it can be. Like, like, yes, this is the cause. Yeah. Yeah. She's like, my mental and physical health. I'm like, that's what it's all about. It's how do yeah. we drop the guilt and the shame so we can honor our body and, and have that mind-body connection. Well, and we have to recognize too that there's a lot that's been attributed uh, from a health perspective. It's like, oh, it's just about what you eat. And it's like, oh, health is so much bigger. There's mental health, spiritual health, all these things. Then we start taking a look at social determinants of health. And when you start looking at some of the research coming from these nutrition studies, a lot they're really shaky. They're just epidemiological studies showing association, not causation. And it gives us a direction of research that, that yeah, let's fund an intervention study, but it doesn't mean that's the absolutely way we need to be to we, we need to be going. And so that's why this relationship that you have with yourself is so important. If, if the way that you're eating and relating to your body and the food you put into it is shame-based and anxiety-based, that is not good for your health. That contributes to your allostatic load in which your cortisol levels get stressed. And we know cortisol uh, amplifies, uh, is, is problematic with many chronic kinds of conditions. So I won't get too complex into the weeds on that. But, and it's weird as a nutritionist, I'm often deconstructing a lot of nutrition things, you know, when actually, I actually love the, the science and the research behind it. There's just a lot of faulty information out there because there's a lot of bias in, in the research, you know, that's a hard one to own, but it's true. Yeah. yeah, we live in a world where everybody's an expert and everyone is an expert of their own body, but everybody is an expert because they eat and they're sharing what's working. And because they them. have Google, they have right? Dr. Like, Google. It's so, <laughs> it's so hard, but you know, and I will share, I was talking to Sam before we hopped on and recorded and I was crying over a, a diet culture fight that I'm fighting currently right now and just feeling, taking it so personal. And I think uh. my biggest, lesson from this episode right now, which I can't thank you enough for, is just recognizing that this isn't about me. This isn't yep. about that person. This is about some things that are so much bigger than us. And one person yes. at a time is what we need to focus on impacting. So thank, yeah. you. thank you for that yeah. clarity. <laughs> yeah. I think that's actually really important. And I, you know what, when I let that go, cause I used to get really personalized like that, but when I let that go and realize I don't need to convince anybody. What I do now is I'll say there's another way that's really beautiful. Uh, that there's some research behind. I'd like to tell you about it if you want to, you know, if you want to, if you want to know about it, I'd like to, I would love to tell you more. I don't feel the need to have to go uh, bop everybody on the head. It's like, you got to get, you know, got to get your facts straight. And, and believe me, I've been there, done that. In fact, in my early days as a dietitian, I'll never forget, I got feedback from somebody who said, you when you're answering a question, it's really important not to roll your eyeballs before you answer the question. <laughs> so 
I guess they would ask me some <laughs> question and I'd be like, oh my God, I wouldn't say it, but my eyes would. And so, you know, it's humbling. We all learn about this stuff. So just know that you're in it for the long haul. And, you know, the way I, another way that has self-centered me is that maybe a person needs to hear this 10 times and maybe you're the first person, which means you're, you're, you're barely planting that seed and no other people are going to come along and water it and someday it comes to fruition. You know, I'll give you an example because it's not that old. It's, it, I came onto Instagram about two years ago. I had no intention of being on Instagram. I, to be honest, had no interest in it. I thought it was a Kardashian thing, but I hired um, a marketing person said, you really should get on there. And I was blown away by the people who are already really into intuitive eating. It's like, oh my God, all these seeds, they're going to be grown. You know, to fruition, it was so exciting to see, you know, it was, it, it just, uh, it blew me away. It humbled me. I've, I saw some of the good that can happen with uh, social media. So I've changed my attitude about that, you know, so. <laughs> I can yeah. personally say and speak for Sam as well, that you have changed our lives for sure. Aww. You and Elise. You. And I truly mean that. And this was like, we want to respect your time, but this was such a gift. So thank you for giving us your time Absolutely. tonight for us, not for you, the afternoon for you. Um, but truly, uh, for anybody listening that could possibly not know who you are at this point, can you tell them where to find you? Well, sure. Um, <laughs> you can go to our website, uh, intuitiveeating.org. Uh, if you want to go to my personal website, it's evelyntribley.com. And you can find me most active on Instagram at, at evelyntribley. That's probably the most straightforward way. Yeah. Amazing. Well, thank you so much, Evelyn. Yeah. Guys, thank you so much for listening to another episode of What the Actual Fork Pod. We know there are a lot of pods out there, and we are so grateful that you are here listening with us. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to subscribe, like, share with all your friends and faves, and follow along with us on social at what the actual fork pod we promise to continue to bring you the hottest topics greatest guests and the most fun you can possibly have while fighting diet culture bullshit we love you we appreciate you and we will see you next week for a lot more fun let's jump into pepper's world of play look for spring flowers hunt for muddy puddles and bravely explore exciting places with pepper play sets pepper pig inspiring kid confidence.